Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips about improving the health and well being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory or even the quality of a senior's healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, we are going to talk about dementia and caregiving. My guest is Professor Joseph Gogler of the University of Minnesota Center on Aging. He is a nationally known expert on helping dementia caregivers and researches ways that we can better support the many people who are helping or caring for a family member who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or another dementia. As many of you know, helping a loved one who has dementia can be very challenging and people often find themselves quite stressed or overwhelmed. To help families better navigate this challenging time, Professor Gogler and his colleagues have spent the past few years developing and testing an online tool called care to plan which just became available to the general public last month in March. I've taken a look at this tool online, and I'm very impressed with its potential to help families. And so I'm thrilled to have Professor Joseph Gogler join us on the podcast today to tell us more about this online tool and to talk about more effective ways to help families on their Alzheimer's journey. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thanks, Leslie, for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay. So, uh, why don't we start by having you tell a little bit about this online tool that you've developed called Care to Plan. What exactly is it and how does it help people who are caring for a family member or other person who has Alzheimer's or another dementia? Well, what Care to Plan does is it, it essentially provides individualized support recommendations for family members who are caring for a loved one or helping a loved one uh, with memory loss. And, and what we tried to do with Care to Plan when initially designing it was to provide some really basic, easy-to-understand information about various support options that are out there for family members, then to take them through a very brief assessment, which should literally take no more than five minutes to complete. And then once that assessment is done, to take the answers that a family member provides and to match those answers with a set of recommendations that are based on professional slash expert recommendations solicited from throughout the United States to provide more or less an individualized plan of assistance or plan of support for that family member. And perhaps most importantly, to not only just provide a recommendation, but then also to offer some information and guidance as to where family members, regardless of where they're living in the U.S., can access that information and potentially utilize the recommended support service. So really, in the end, what we're trying to do is create a person-centered tool for uh, family members who help loved ones with memory loss. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you mentioned a few times individualized support. And I think I know what you mean by that. But um, could you talk a little bit more about why it's uh, important to individualize and personalize 
um, support for a family who's struggling with dementia? Sure. I, I think we all know uh, if if we are a family member who's helping out uh, a mom or dad or a sibling or a spouse uh, or our uh, professional provider helping those families is that family members are usually at various places during the course of uh, a loved one's dementia. Uh, you could Someone could be caring for a relative who's in the early stages of dementia versus the moderate or late stages. You have family caregivers who may be spouses versus adult children. They all have a a wide, very diverse set of needs. And because of that, their support recommendations should also be, in similar fashion, individualized to best meet their needs. Oftentimes, when we look at the state of the art in research on dementia caregiving, there are a number of of really compelling uh, uh, services and programs that have been developed, that have been evaluated vis-a-vis high-quality research designs, such as randomized controlled trials, that really show benefits and efficacy. But a lot of the times, those, those interventions are focused on a very select type of family caregiver of somebody with dementia. And too often or more often than not, sometimes programs fall into the trap of approaching a certain type of caregiver intervention as almost a one-size-fits-all. And we know certainly from real-world experience that not every type of intervention is, number one, most appropriate for every type of family member, and number two, might not even be preferred by that particular family member. So what, mm-hmm. so what we tried to do with Care to Plan was to kind of bridge that gap, um, understanding that, yes, there are certain types of support support programs that have shown benefits for certain types of caregivers and then trying to identify a particular trying to identify the individual needs of a family member and then to link them with uh, the type of support that is recommended for them. Right. And I think, you know, what you're getting at is, is uh, I'm sure this happens to you as a professional, it certainly happens to me, is that people will say, you know, my mom has Alzheimer's and I need help, what should I do? And that for us, the answer is always a little bit, well, it depends, because as you were saying, um, there's just so much uh, variety within the dementia caregiving experience, in part because it's often a long illness, and the problems uh, sort of evolve over time, depending on where the older person is uh, in their dementia journey. And then also depending on whether you're the spouse living with the person or an adult child further away, um, your, uh, your needs might be, might be somewhat different. So, um, so it sounds like, uh, well, really your tool and I, and I've tried it out is helps, um, kind of clarify a little bit what might be most needed and also most of interest to, a dementia caregiver so that they can then go finding that kind of support. Does that sound sound like a fair description? Yeah, I, I think it is, Leslie. And, you know, I think you hit on something to me that's really interesting about kind of the approach we adopted for Care to Plan. You know, the recommendations that a family member gets are, of course, very important. And certainly one would expect many family members would want to follow that type of support program that's most recommended for them. But I think just as beneficial and just as important for something like Care to Plan or tools similar to that is it helps family members take the first steps through the process of one, understanding what's out there, two, 
taking the time, you know, albeit briefly, taking the time to really start to identify, okay, here is some of the issues that are going on with me in terms of, you know, what's stressing me out, uh, where I need support, or where I have support. Mm-hmm. And, and I think just going through that process with family members, regardless of what that final recommendation is, is, is really helpful because I think then it starts to begin to to help family members kind of immerse themselves into the decision-making process that's often needed, as you said, throughout the course of dementia. And and needs change, things change, and having a a brief tool, an easy-to-use tool such as this is helpful because family members can go through it multiple times. They also can print it out and save their answers so they can kind of check back to see how they've been doing, how things have been changing. And, and I think that's important first for families, but then also maybe for professionals as well in that family, oh, yeah. in that family members can take this to the professionals and, and professionals themselves can utilize it to better tailor a plan of care. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we can all use some help in um, uh, crystallizing um, and having a little clarity on what particular problems are especially at issue or troubling, and then having a, a kind of systematic way to note them and to follow up on them later can be very helpful. And um, so um, we should probably tell the audience that that uh, if, if I understood right, part of the way Care to Plan works online is that you start off by leading the, the person through 20 questions that ask about very common, um, I think they're mostly yes, no questions or, or, or you ask how often does this problem come up and the person answers often, sometimes, rarely or, or never. And so you take them through 20 questions to kind of identify common common problem areas. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And that's it. those 20 questions are interesting in that that's a validated a, a screening assessment that's been developed for family members of people with memory loss. And it really uh, it really accorded itself where uh, well for the care to plan tool itself. Because in fact, even though it's only 20 questions, it actually assesses multiple dimensions. And so it really helped in terms of generating more robust recommendations as it compared to, say, so, uh, uh, other brief screening tools that may have had fewer questions, but then were, were very focused on what they were trying to actually assess. So, mm-hmm. Well, I, I've gone through it a, f- a few times, I think maybe three, and it really doesn't take very long. I mean, the questions are in very uh, plain English and just sound like really common situations or things that come up for people with, uh, with dementia. So I'm, I'm sure the users will find, it, will find it easy to work through. And then in Care to Plan, you end up suggesting sort of, um, or, or it's, an, it's an opportunity for families to learn about and then access, it seems, six types of help that you've organized it into. Could you talk a little bit about those different types of, of uh, help and support services? Yeah, so it, it's actually seven types of help. And uh, the types of help are actually based on uh, groupings that have been systematically reviewed in the research literature. So uh, these are more or less support categories where researchers have focused a lot of time in evaluating specific types of interventions with each type of category within each type of category, and then also across those categories too. 
And, you know, it's interesting. You talk about the language part and how it's easy to read and everything. One of the things, it's funny because, you know, I'm a scientist, a scholar, and I, in the original iterations of Care to Plan, I thought I had put something together that would be really useful, um, you know, detailed, et cetera. But I also had a 29-member community advisory board providing input and guidance onto each of the screens and the language. And their input was absolutely invaluable because they actually really helped me. And sometimes we as uh, as researchers don't always do this very well. They really helped me take the language and tailor it, cut it down, organize it in a way uh, so that an everyday family member could really understand this pretty easily. Um, and that included these support groupings. Uh, originally, I had titled all of these uh, according to the groupings used in the research literature. But then when I presented them to members of my community advisory board, they were like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, a family member is not going to know what X means. So what we did is we retitled and labeled all of the these seven uh, service options in ways that are pretty easily understandable and also provide explanations for each. So for example, we have number one, education. And education actually is more than support. It really it really represents uh, those types of programs that uh, provide skills building or what's also sometimes called psychoeducation, how to cope with, deal with the many problems and issues that can come up during the course of a loved one's memory loss. So sorry, for each of these, can you give um, maybe an example of a common sure. sort of situation that a family might be encountering that would be sort of addressed by this type of support. Right. So with education, a, a good example would be my, my loved one is asking the same question over and over again, and it's driving me crazy. Or my Oh, yeah, that's a common one. Right, things like that. Or my loved one wanders or, you know, is acting out in ways I, I couldn't have expected and I don't know what to do. The types of programs in the education category are specifically designed to help provide family members with skills and coping strategies to really deal with what is a very common issue amongst families, but also can be a really challenging one over the course of time. And so what I, what we wanted to do with that grouping was to, you know, help family members on their path, if that is what is recommended for them, to identify certain types of programs that can help with that. Some good examples out there are things like, for example, Powerful Tools for Caregivers is a good educational program. Another really good one is uh, the Savvy Caregiver, um, which is also uh, commonly offered across area agencies on aging or Alzheimer's association chapters. I mean, these are the types of programs that can really help families uh, uh, deal with those kinds of things. And that's one example. And so uh, next, I think you have a problem solving. Yeah, what problem solving really refers to is case management and counseling. So in this instance, is it would uh, problem solving would be really effective for families that maybe have a real distinct type of issue that they need some information and counseling around, whether it's legal slash financial issues, whether it might be just a whole uh, slew of types of issues that maybe are somewhat a little bit more focused than what psychoeducation would provide but nonetheless would help direct family members to a person or a resource that could help them deal with a specific problem that's, uh, that they would like to have addressed in, in the context of caregiving. So it's to help them access the right, in a way, uh, outside expertise to solve a problem rather than teaching them to go through the steps. I mean, for instance, if you have sundowning, a person with dementia who gets, who gets uh, restless and difficult every afternoon, it's less about... It's less about uh, figuring out how to solve that one particular problem and doing trial and error to find out what might help them feel better in the afternoon and more about 
here's a, a problem that we might need more assistance with and how we could go about finding that assistance. And Exactly, Leslie. Yeah, that, that, that's a good way okay. to describe it. Yep. And then you have uh, support groups. Which I think are pretty self-explanatory. Uh, you know, some people, uh, it, they may really benefit from that opportunity to share feelings and ideas with others, whether it's with uh, peer-led support groups or even professionally-led support groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to bring up change your thinking next because I, it seems to me that there might be some overlap with support groups or that maybe some support groups provide some of the change your thinking. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely the potential for overlap between change your thinking. But this is an interesting category because this was originally called therapy or psychotherapy. And I think for many family members, if they see that, that obviously brings up a whole kind of set of, if not stigma, certain connotations about what that means. But really what change your thinking gets to more is it really helps the family member work on their thoughts and actions. Um, Really about helping them with the coping aspects of certain issues related to family care. And then maybe if necessary, delving even a little bit deeper. I mean, one of the things we know is that people with dementia, when they are starting on that journey, they're often bringing along with them various types of histories, personal histories, family histories, and those things often influence how care is provided, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. These type of programs, I would argue, can really help family members delve deeper and help them address some of those underlying issues or concerns so that they're better prepared to uh, address the challenges ahead. And I think of it sometimes also as just helping people sort of learn to, to manage, to be more in touch with their emotions and frustrations so that they can sort of find ways to, to work on that for themselves, which is related to, but not quite the same as helping understanding what's going on with the the person you're taking care of and figuring out how to help them with their emotions and frustrations, which is part of dementia caregiving, I suppose. A- absolutely, Leslie. Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's really great insight. And, and that's, I think, really in the end what change your thinking is about. Whereas, you know, psychoeducation, the contrast, really focuses a lot on the skills side, you know, skills, strategies, kind of things you can really apply and do in day-to-day care. And then you have uh, brain health. Tell us a little bit about the the brain health. Yeah, this, so this includes those kinds of programs uh, where, in in certain instances. Uh, the person with memory loss could benefit, and I would argue this is probably more appropriate for people with memory loss in the early stages of dementia, to really help them maintain their brain, to engage in certain types of activities to help them maintain their brain. There are some specialty clinics and centers that do provide this kind of uh, cognitive stimulation for people with memory loss that could potentially have, it, you know, it certainly can't, it won't necessarily delay or uh, have significant uh, effects on. Uh, maybe the the progression of dementia, but it might help overall improve the person with memory loss's quality of life. And we felt that that was an important category to also include in the overall care to plan tool. And then there's a take a break. Yeah. And what take a break refers to is respite programs. So um, either out of home or in home types of programs that offer relief to family members who need time off for any range of reasons. I mean, they certainly can be emotionally Uh, Family members just need to take a break. It's getting to be too much. Or in some cases, family members have other life responsibilities where they need to uh, address those while also having to simultaneously care for a loved one with memory loss. Take a break programs can help family members identify resources to allow them to do just that. 
Mm-hmm. And then the last one, it says high-powered combinations. And what does that mean? Yeah, so amongst the most effective interventions for family caregivers of people with memory loss are a class of interventions called multi-component interventions. Again, that's a title that probably isn't easily understandable to people who maybe are first using this tool. So we use the term high-powered combinations to basically refer to those types of programs and services that combine and integrate multiple types of programs together to help family members who are having a particularly hard time dealing with a loved one with memory loss and providing care to them. So examples of this would be programs that say, for example, combine robust educational or psychoeducational services with respite and or support groups. Um, There are also examples of multi-component programs that actually combine individual and family counseling along with a support group, along with the provision of ongoing counseling and support. And several multiple area agencies on aging throughout the U.S. have become fairly expert in in providing and implementing these types of high-powered combinations for family members. So if a family member does find themselves uh, being recommended this type of program, again, Care to Plan can help them identify uh, resources to access them. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that some of the area agencies on aging are helping people find them because I feel like um, I've certainly heard about these programs and I read about them. You know, they're often studied uh, and then published in the literature, but it seems to me that often uh, it can be a little bit hard to find them locally because I think once the funding for the um, for developing the program and studying it runs out, it seems like it can be hard for an organization to continue to offer it. Are you finding that there's uh, they're now finding ways to continue to offer these programs, or yes, this Leslie, this is a major issue. This whole issue of you know not only just implementing these programs, but then also ensuring that they're sustainable. And you know, I think it really varies from state to state. I mean, there are some states that have really committed to offering these as part of the routine kind of a service array within their particular area agency on aging office or Alzheimer's Association chapter. For a good example, for example, is my state of Minnesota. There, there have been multiple efforts to ensure that the, that staff at these different uh, organizations are trained into actually delivering these. Um, I would believe California, too. I know, at least in certain regions of California, it's similarly, they've spent a lot of time and effort in trying to uh, uh, sustain these types of more intensive programs. But again, it varies from state to state. Uh, as part of Care to Plan, if people are recommended a high-powered combination, we kind of offer two options. One is we provide a link to uh, those providers throughout the U.S. that have been uh, focused on implementing these high-powered combinations, and hopefully family members are close are located close by and can contact these individuals. Or secondly, we also offer recommendations. It might be necessary for family members to more or less combine the programs themselves to see basically their needs require more than just one type of these services, but multiple types of these services, and to ask for them accordingly to their local area agency on aging or some other support resource. Well, that's great. Yeah. And so the Alzheimer's Association is is often one of the organizations that that I think many people hear about or many people are referred to by their doctors or by social workers. And they have a pretty widespread presence um, with local chapters throughout the country. Do you find that they're often a good resource for um, providing these these services and high powered um, combinations? 
Yeah, I, I think they are. If not, to provide it to at least help family members identify where they can get it. Um, so, yeah, I would think for the most part, Alzheimer's Association chapter offices should be well-suited to help guide family members to identify where they can find the, the support recommended to them. Again, it's hard to make a blanket statement because we all know things vary widely sometimes across states and within states. And um, But by and large, you know, my experiences in working with the Alzheimer's Association, both at local levels and the national level, has been that, you know, if there's one support resource that you one can identify, Identify to find these various types of uh, programmatic recommendations, it would be the Alzheimer's Association. They're certainly one of the ones that I often um, think of. But yes, people often still seem a little lost and not sure of how to get help. And I don't know how much of that is people perhaps being told that their relative has dementia and maybe them not realizing that so much of, certainly for caregiver support, that the Alzheimer's Association does you know, covers um, most dementias. I think people, the public sometimes thinks of them as two distinct conditions, Alzheimer's versus dementia, not realizing that that Alzheimer's is sort of the most common form of dementia, but that dementia is sort of the chronic condition of having difficulty with your memory and thinking, and it's slowly getting worse, basically. Yeah, Leslie, usually when I give uh, community presentations to families or even professionals, that, that almost always is one of the first questions asked. How are Alzheimer's disease and dementia different or the same? And yeah, that's that's just takes, comp, you know, I think that takes, you know, uh, education um, on the part of primary care providers to help families differentiate the two and to realize that dementia by and large really isn't a quote-unquote diagnosis. It's a set of symptoms that describe what's happening but really should trigger uh, more specific types of uh, diagnostic processes to really understand what is the underlying cause of that particular dementia. And, you know, related to that in the care to plan, you'll find pretty interesting, you know, we don't re- we don't refer to dementia, I don't believe at all in care to plan. Um, you know, we just kind of focus on the term, which I think is a little more acceptable to many families of memory loss. And it is until the very end of where can I find support is where we provide information about the Alzheimer's Association or things like that. Because I think as you would know, Leslie, given what you've done, is uh, it's so much of this is a process. And, you know, it's about engaging with families over time, communicating with them over time to really help them understand that, yes, this is a journey. And, uh, you know, we're here to help along the way. And I think part of that is helping families become acclimated to what what can I expect and also where can I find help? Absolutely. So I would love to just hear a little bit more about uh helping people who are struggling with Alzheimer's or other dementias or memory problems, as, as you put it. And um, in, your, in your work, what have you found that dementia caregivers struggle with the most? I'm still using the term dementia, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's, that's fine. I think it's appropriate, too. I mean, I, I don't think, I think it's by no means inappropriate. But, you know, one of, the, one of the things we offer, Leslie, at the University of Minnesota on a yearly basis is called, we, we do a big community education conference called Caring for a Person with Memory Loss. Um, we do it yearly. And uh, I'll be honest, when I originally started this back in the spring of 2008, it was essentially to try to find individuals to participate in some of my research studies to support family caregivers. So we just kind of put the word out saying, we're going to do this community education conference. We're going to have a day here at the University of Minnesota. Come if you're interested. And something like 90 people showed up at the door without even much promotion or advertising. And many family members at the end of that conference said, you know, we really need you to do this each year because one thing we need is we just need 
basic information. We need hands-on tools and resources to help us deal with problem X or problem Y or what we're having to address on a day-to-day basis with you know our mom or dad or spouse, etc. So we started offering the conference each year from from there on out, and it, it's it's free for families. Uh, you know, care professionals do pay a nominal fee for continuing ed credits if they want that. But again, free for families. We've had sponsors provide food, etc. And now we get around 250 to 300 people show up each year. And, and really what that tells me is that there's this really ongoing need for this kind of community engagement education to help family members, not just one time off, but over time. Um, one of the things that strikes me the most when uh, I do these conferences each year is how many times we have family members who have been to three, four, five, six, even seven of the eight of the conferences, been to them all, where they almost see the conference kind of as a key part of their journey over the course of a loved one's memory loss. And to me, again, that really suggests the need to what families I think need in the end is kind of this resource that they can call upon, they feel is reliable, is continuous that they know they can go to if they need help when a problem arises. And to me, that not only is important in the community education we do, I think it's important in the clinical care that's provided. Um, And I think there's some evidence showing that that indeed is the type of intervention model that probably is uh, most beneficial for families. And And then also for people with memory loss too. When you consider what is good quality dementia care, I would argue it's the type of dementia care that has really good coordination. Um, You have a really good primary care provider there at the core of it that understands and knows things are changing, the course of uh, memory loss is changing, how can I help families navigate this morass of specialty care, community services, et cetera, to really help them identify uh, the need, the supports and services that can really help them. So, Right. Uh, well, that's wonderful that you do that yearly conference. And you know, I find your story striking because are, are you in Minneapolis? I am, yes. Because, I mean, you're in a big city, so presumably there are support groups in the city that they could be accessing. And have you ever sort of talked to the people who come and are they also going to support groups or is there, are they finding something in your conference that they don't find in support groups? And does that mean that we need to do something more with the support group structure to make it more supportive or somehow helpful yeah, I think, um, to people? I, you know, I think support groups are really valued. Uh, families obviously love them and like to be part of them. Um, it, it, I think it's one of those things, I think the answer to your question, Leslie, specifically is yes and yes. You know, we have family members who attend the conference who actually find out about it from their support group. Um, and the support group moderators or others actually recommend family members to come see us. And maybe... Uh, Within the context of a community education conference, they can identify specific types of information that maybe goes a step beyond what a support group provider can offer and instead can really um, help them delve deeper into resources, tools, and strategies that are more uh, specific to what they need. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, alternatively, and I think you've probably seen this a lot, Leslie, with some of uh, the people with memory loss and family members you, you've probably helped in your uh, practice, is you also have other family members where this is just hitting them and they don't know what to do. I mean, it is just a uh, a, tr- a real mix of, you know, they're getting thrown all this information at once at them. Uh, you know, the diagnosis, the medication, uh, the the staging, um, here's a card, call this person, that person, etc. And I think we also get a, a large number of family members who come to the conference saying, I don't know where to start. 
Um, and sometimes an educational community outreach event such as this helps family members, number one, realize they're not alone. And then number two, they can hear from other family members what they're dealing with in a larger kind of educational Q&A session that then can help direct them to more uh, uh, focused types of support such as a support group. And we also have at the at the conference, you know, I have the Alzheimer's Association there at a table. I have the Area Agency on Aging there at a table. We have all these other wonderful resource providers there where family members then can start to see and start to identify, okay, here are some uh, resources that I should probably start thinking about based on what I heard at the conference. Right. So, and part of what you're doing is you're, you know, in a way you're almost curating a group of colleagues and people other um, organizations who can assist families with dementia and bringing them all together so that people can come and perhaps hear from experts. You know, they might value hearing from uh, academic experts and then also see sort of what variety of, of different organizations might be available to help them. So maybe that's part of, of what it is, too. I, I think, yeah, that's all of it, Leslie. Um, you know, again, one of the things we try to do with the conference, which I think has helped, is I when I set up the uh, speaker uh, topics each year, I rely really heavily on the feedback the attendees provide me, and I really try to craft topical sessions that are based on what the attendees want, not what I think they want. And, and I think that really helps. And I think the mindset too, um, you know, of this community engagement, at least it's been for me, um, I can't speak for others, but certainly for me has been, I really feel like I learn probably as much as any of the family members do because, you know, I, if one is steeped in their science and scholarship, one can start to lose sight of, okay, on the ground, what are family members really grappling with and dealing with and what are we not doing? Um, right. You know, it, one of the things that has, has, kind of shocked me to some extent, but has certainly surprised me, has been, you know, you, you kind of alluded to it when you're asking about support groups, is sometimes there's this disconnect. Um, we know there's all these great resources out there that family members can access, but yet family members are still coming to the conference and they're still kind of seem to be really in states of crisis, feeling of being lost. What, why is there that chasm? And, you know, humbly and I hope that something like the conference can help people start to bridge those chasms in their own day-to-day care experiences. But it also really emphasizes to me as a researcher that we have to engage with the communities we're serving to also help ta- help structure the kinds of questions we're asking in our subsequent research. Right. And it has to kind of be a conversation and not just us as experts saying, here, here, here's the expertise, here's what to know, but really a back and forth where in listening to them, we can think about how better to adjust what we know so that it's truly helpful to them. Yeah, and I'll tell you what too, Leslie. I mean, if you have presenters that take that kind of uh, traditional approach, the didactic approach where um, – or even, a, you know uh, – uh, I don't know what you would call it, but kind of the more uh, I am the, you know, I am the expert, uh, I am the sage, I'm going to give you my knowledge. I'll tell you this, I mean, the family members, uh, they will let, or the audience uh, will let those speakers know pretty quickly that here's my issue, can you deal with it? Um, And it's been surprising. There are some speakers, you know, sometimes they can't answer the questions. Um, They're not able to help these family members with their day-to-day experience. Sometimes I can't either. Um, But that, again, suggests to me that we have a lot of work to do to really help meet the needs of family people of uh, uh, families of relatives with memory loss. Yeah, absolutely. So in our last few minutes, I would love to know um, how you found your way into doing this work. What made you first uh, take an interest in people who are struggling with dementia or Alzheimer's? Did you have someone in your own family? 
Well, yeah, my experience really was based on, again, some of the uh, extracurricular ex- uh, activities that I was involved in when I was an undergraduate. Uh, I went to a small liberal arts college, a well-regarded one here in Minnesota, called Gustavus Adolphus College, and I was a psychology and history major. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with either of those majors after I graduated from college. And one of the uh, community service opportunities I got involved in in my second year there was actually playing cards with older people at a local uh, apartment rise complex and I really enjoyed doing that and hearing their stories and then the following summer uh, I had an opportunity to do an internship as part of my psychology major and that internship was actually with Catholic Charities here in St. Paul they had a geriatric social work unit at the time where they would actually do home visits to people uh, living at home for example older persons living alone etc and the very first visit we did was a woman caring for her husband with all Alzheimer's disease. And I saw firsthand what that was doing to her, what it was like to go through that experience. And, and after that, I really felt like I wanted to take my psychology major and really focus on gerontology with a specific emphasis on family care for people with dementia. And that led me to finding out about the work of who ended up being my eventual mentor um, at my PhD program at Penn State, who is named Steve Zarit, Z-A-R-I-T. Oh, yes. Right. The Zarit Caregiver Burden Inventory. Right. Really kind of an inter- uh, international pioneer in research on mental health and aging and specifically family caregiving of people with dementia. And I really learned from him at his feet for my time at uh, Penn State. And that really is, I think, what crystallized my interest in doing work in this area on family caregiving. And following getting my PhD, I actually came back here to the University of Minnesota to do what's called a postdoctoral fellowship in research through the National Institute on Aging. And I actually worked with two of my uh, fe- fellow colleagues now, uh, Dr. Robert Kane, who's kind of uh, really, uh, in, again, internationally re- renowned as a, a geriatrician, and then also his wife, Rosalie Kane, who's very well known in doing health services research with older persons. So all of those experiences kind of flowed together to really help crystallize this particular interest in helping to support family caregivers of people with memory loss. Well, that's really wonderful. I mean, I know that for myself, I feel that, you know, the most important work is to help people who are struggling and relieve at least some of that struggle, although we're not able to take it entirely away. And um, it's wonderful that we do so much research on understanding Alzheimer's and trying to prevent it, but there are so many people who just struggle with it on a daily basis. And so I think it's so important that there are people like you who, uh, who are not just creating uh, tools for them, but you know, studying them because we need to study them in order to really understand what works better, what works less well, and uh, how we might expand it so that we can just have a better network of support for the many people who, um, who have to find their way through this for, for years, usually. I mean, it's, it's really a great challenge for, um, for older adults and their families when, um, when they face a, a chronic memory problem. Yeah, and Leslie, I think you would agree with this too, is that when we think of the future of healthcare in the U.S., I mean, so much of it is going to surround and involve effective chronic disease care for older persons. Um, and we know one of the most, probably the most challenging chronic disease, although oftentimes older persons have multiple chronic diseases, is indeed Alzheimer's disease or related dementia. And in addition to supporting family caregivers directly, you know, I think we as healthcare professionals have to understand the important role family caregivers will play 
in providing ideal, optimal chronic disease care. Um, family mm-hmm. family carriers are going to be part of the solution to healthcare reform. And uh, the, the sooner we understand that, I think the better off we'll be. Oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. They're an enormous part of the um, the health and life experience of uh of older people. And then it's a, just a profound thing for those, um, you know, many of them are middle-aged, some of them are younger, but for the person who's involved in supporting an older person, I mean, that's just a huge impact on their health and life. And um, so really important from that perspective too. So just in closing, can you tell us uh, a little bit more? Now I'm going to put a link to the care to plan tool in the show notes, but do you have any other favorite websites or online resources for people who are caring for someone with memory loss that you'd like to recommend to our audience? Yeah, definitely. There's probably four or five go-to sites that I often recommend to families when they ask about this. We've already alluded to the Alzheimer's Association's uh, main website. They have a wonderful uh, kind of caregiver center that really goes through almost anything a, a family member might need in terms ranging from how to partner with a physician to how to deal with behavioral issues to legal financial planning, et cetera. So that would be one uh, site I think families should consider. Another superb site with a lot of free downloadable materials is the National Institutes on Aging uh, website. It's called the Alzheimer's Disease Education and Referral Center or ADIR. Again, just a wonderful set of resources and all of them are written for families. Um, so they're very user-friendly and, and, and really excellent resources. We rely on those heavily as well. Another great website I think family members uh, should be aware of is uh, the Mayo Clinic site. They have some great uh, we- they have some great website resources on both Alzheimer's and dementia, as well as family caregiver support. So that's an excellent site and resource. Another great resource is the American Association of Retired Persons. They have a caregiver resource center. They have a lot. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of great blogs on there. Um, they also have some excellent resources for really uh, family caregivers of any kind um, to to really benefit from too. And then the last resource I would direct family members to is the Family Caregiver Alliance. Um, they have a great resource too, and and one of their resources are are actually embedded in the Care to Plan tool. They have what's the, they have a fa- the navigator exactly the navigator. So anybody anywhere in the U.S. can click on a state, and then they can see the array of uh, family caregiver specific services available to them in that state. So again, it's a really nice kind of a corollary parallel uh, resource that uh, works well with Care to Plan. And I guess all of these are um, resources that you've heard good feedback from, from your audience at the conference? Oh, definitely, yes. I think family members, you know, if if they, if for whatever reason they don't necessarily uh, are attracted to one of the resources, they're attracted to one of the others that I've listed. So I think, mm-hmm. I think any of those are, are good places to start for a family member who is uh, challenged by a loved one's memory loss. And then do you have a favorite place or a place you'd particularly recommend in terms of online support group or forums? Uh, I think it's wonderful for people to go to support groups in person, but that's often challenging either if they have to be there with the person they're taking care of or if they're juggling their life and work. And I've been interested in the online support groups for a while. And I was just wondering if there were any particular sites or communities that you'd heard really good things about from um, the caregiver communities that you work with or that 
that you've learned about? Yeah, I think uh, the one place I usually start if family members would like to uh, access an online support group would again be the Family Caregiver Alliance. I think they have some links to online support groups on their website that we generally start by directing people to. I believe the Alzheimer's Association as well has an online support group um, option or program. Um, So that would be another uh, place to go. A third place to go that I haven't mentioned yet, but is someone who is really seen as an influencer in uh, Alzheimer's support and care is uh, Lori LeBay. Um, She has a uh, Lori LeBay, uh, L-O-R-I, and then her last name is spelled L-A-B-E-Y. She has a website called Alzheimer's Speaks, um, and she's very engaged with providing internet support and internet support resources, including online support groups. I, I would highly recommend families to check her site out as well. This is an individual who, and again, this to me, uh, you know, I think we as scientists and scholars have to not only be aware, but to actively collaborate with individuals like Lori. I mean, she, her mother passed away from alt- with Alzheimer's, and she began this journey and uh, this, this really incredible uh, path of building these online sites, online blogs, internet radio show to the point now where I think she's the number one influencer on LinkedIn regarding Alzheimer's. So again, that's, it's, she's someone who kind of has built it from the ground up. And because of that, I think she provides really family-centric uh, resources and services and information too. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's great to hear about. Well, fantastic. I will definitely put links to all of those in the show notes so that our listeners can find their way there. And hopefully they'll find more information and support through those. And I also hope they'll try your your care to plan tool and, and find some some help there as well. Joe, thank you so very much for this conversation. It's been really fantastic. And I hope you'll keep us posted on how you're your tool progresses and when it takes the next step. Absolutely, Leslie. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And the the one last, I guess, final uh, message I would leave to you and, and your audience. And first, thank you for all the great work you're doing. And secondly, if any family member has any questions, concerns, or issues, um, please have them feel free to contact me via phone or email as well. And I would hopefully you can share that via your show notes too. Oh, wonderful. I absolutely will. And I'm sure they'll really appreciate that invitation. That's fantastic. Thank you. So I hope you all enjoyed those insights from Professor Joseph Gogler of the University of Minnesota. And if you are involved in caring for a person with Alzheimer's or another dementia, I hope you'll give his new tool a try. You can find it online at www.care2plan.com. And I'll, of course, have a link that goes directly to the questionnaire and education tool right in the show notes. To find the show notes for this episode, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net, click podcast in the main menu at the top, and then you'll see the list of recent episodes and you can click the title for this episode and that'll take you to the show notes. And of course, if you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post your question in the comments section under the show notes for this episode. Chances are that many other listeners will be wondering the same thing. So when you post your question on the site, That allows me to provide an answer that can be helpful to the entire audience. In this case, since Professor Gogler so generously offered to take your questions, you can post a question in the notes and he can answer it on the website. Or I will also post his contact information and if you'd prefer to just email him directly, you can do that. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, I would really appreciate a rating and a review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show on iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. 
If you are one of the people who's left a rating or review, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.